Hello and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening today. I really do appreciate you spending time listening to this podcast because let's be real, everyone and their mother has a podcast out right now. I mean, it's a bit insane, and I'm addicted to it. I subscribed to over 30. I know it's a lot, but with all the podcasts that are out there, everyone's speaking into microphones. I do really, I really do appreciate you listening to this one, and so I thank you for that. On this season of the podcast, we've been talking about how the ancient and the contemplative, these spiritual practices that have been used for centuries, aren't rote, they're not old, they're not traditional, but instead they can actually revive an apathetic faith, they can heal wounded souls, and they can transform lives. And they open ourselves up to the divine so that the divine might do a good work in us. It's good stuff. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing co-reverends, co-rectors of St. Paul's Episcopal Church, Reverend Dr. Diane and Reverend Todd Vi. We discuss what it's been like for them as a married couple to go from the professional world of business to discerning their calls to be priests together. We also discuss how these ancient prayers found in the Book of Common Prayer are full of meaning, as well as how the liturgy, the structure of the church service, can be incredibly mysterious, beautiful, and emotional. As a side note, we recorded this episode in a 200-year-old or older parish house next to the church that now serves as its office, so you may hear some sounds of people walking and talking and creaking floors But in the show notes, I also have included some resources that both Todd and Diane recommended for those who want to learn more about what we discussed in this episode. And one quick thing before I share this interview with you, if you could do me a favor and write a review on Apple Podcasts, super quick, takes no time at all, just you can do it in the app, I really would be so appreciative. Uh, The more reviews a podcast has the more Apple will promote it as well as recommend it to other people in the app. So it is really helpful. And I do need your help to spread the word about this as well. So if you can share it on social media, let your social circles know on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook that you are listening to that, that would be so, so, so helpful. And as always, you can connect with me via Twitter, Instagram, or at NathanAlbert.com. So with that, here's the interview. Enjoy. Diana Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. We've been chatting a little bit already, but um, I'd love to hear who you are. Give us a little bit what you do, obviously as priests here, and then I'd love to hear why you do what you do. So what is it that compels you or the catalyst to do what you do? I'll go ahead and start. Um, I am a priest, co-rector with Todd here at St. Paul's, um, and We have not always been priests our whole lives, or even in our adult lives. We began um, as employees of Prudential Property and Casualty after business majors in college. Um, And so that's where we met many years ago, and we discerned our calls to the priesthood while we were working at Prudential. Um, Both of us were very involved in church growing up and once we got married, 
um, but we had no idea that this journey was going to be to the priesthood. And um, basically what happened for me is I was on a short-term mission trip to Honduras, and the day after we got there, Hurricane Mitch hit, oh and gosh. we weren't sure how we were going to get out or whether our, where we were staying was going to flood. Um, but during that time, I felt this complete um, peace and presence of God. So when I got back from that trip, I realized that I was not called to still work at Prudential, but I didn't know what it was that I was being called to do. So I met with our clergy person, our local clergy. Um, we were then a member at an Episcopal church in Wheaton, Illinois, and I met with him, and he um, recommended that I try some seminary classes and just keep speaking to people about what I'm feeling called to. And So that was in... 2001 that I met with him and then by 2004 actually it was earlier than that but 2004 we were selling our house in in Wheaton Illinois and traveling to Virginia to go to seminary um, where we stayed for three years with our then young daughter and ended up staying in Virginia because we loved it so much in this state and ended up here in Lynchburg Wow so we're married. I don't know that you oh. mentioned oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Maybe I didn't even say that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're like, co-priests. <laughs> you're married. Yeah. That's the other guy you were talking about. Um, yeah, all of that is um, shared. Uh, I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, oh, yeah. in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, there was no, mm. no concept of, well, there was a concept of female female clergy, which was, it, it's forbidden in scripture, and uh, we took communion maybe once a quarter, and there were just a lot of practices that I didn't quite understand, and when I asked my confirmation pastor about that, he said, well, that's okay, you'll understand it someday when you get older. So that was the best answer that I would get on things that um, I didn't understand and, and wanted some clarification. I got all of that in the Episcopal Church. Hmm. We do Eucharist at every principal service, um, not because it is so sacred that we should only touch it once every four months, but because it's so important, we should do it as often as uh, you know every Sunday, which always felt in my heart right. I just didn't know that that existed. Hmm. And the ordination of women, I never understood why women in the Lutheran Church could only be deaconesses, which in the Missouri Synod may still be the case. But the Evangelical Church, they're, they're, um, they were ahead of us in many of these um, doctrinal and theological matters. The Evangelical Lutheran. Evangelical yeah. Lutheran Church. Right. So, yeah. right, thank you for the clarification. Mm -hmm. um, so I found my, my heart and my soul in the Episcopal Church. Um, where everything that I had questioned that I didn't feel good about, somebody had already thought that through. And, and as soon as I began attending the Episcopal Church with Diane, as we were dating, we weren't going to worship at two different churches. We were going to make a choice, and the Episcopal Church was where I felt drawn. Mm -hmm. So we were married in 94, um, 93. Mm -hmm. you didn't correct me. I know, because I'm trying not to correct you. <laughs> And we both discerned, we began to discern a call to ordain ministry at two different times, but when we were 
pretty certain we were at the exact same place at the exact same time. So we met with the bishop in Chicago. And interestingly, he said, I don't know what to do with you two. Hmm. He had never had a married couple. Really? Discerning a call to ordain ministry. At the same time. At the same time. And the running joke was, you know, God called her and I picked up the phone. <laughs> um, which is to say the church really wasn't prepared or equipped for a couple to go through ministry, to go through the discernment process, to go through the diocesan process, to go through then seminary together. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was kind of new and exciting for all of us. It was completely new to us, but then we didn't know that the, the system sure. was not prepared. And it's actually, Diane uh, did her doctoral dissertation on clergy couples. In the Episcopal Church. Which is to say it's growing very rapidly. And usually, as in many things of the church, they have to catch up with what's really happening. Yeah. And so that's where the church is now. And Diane has led a, a lot of the church in that kind of discernment, understanding, experience and where do we go from here mm-hmm. so it's really been very cool mm-hmm. incredible journey that neither of us ever expected and yeah. you've been at this church together or you haven't always been together at this church correct you've been in other parishes and then came here is that correct mm-hmm. todd has been here longer than i have um but it got to a point where saint paul's could afford to have another clergy person gotcha. here and we discerned for me to come over as co-rector with him. I was an associate before I came okay. in Lynchburg. Gotcha. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I, I discovered this church, well, I say in another episode, I discovered it by narrowing down churches with women clergy. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> narrows it down. Todd, you said something interesting about the, the system that is kind of the church or the even the, the, the model that's in place. And, and for me as a minister, one of the things that I, I think led to my burnout and was some of the criticism from congregants, the theological debates, often the unchristian ways Christians act to one another, but then also the system of being a pastor in a church context. It's, it's a different type of job. There's a system that causes a lot of ministers to have burnout or Mm -hmm. to give up on being a priest or a minister. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective, not always being ministers, but working in other professions professions as well. Has there been seasons in your life where the system or ministry or even the Christian faith kind of dwindled, didn't work right, you lost a passion, kind of the dark night of the soul seasons mm-hmm. and, and what that was like for either of you? I've never had a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. And I know that some authors will talk about that before you decide what you're going to do through prayer and discernment, you have a crisis of faith. Hmm. I don't believe that. Hmm. Um, That may happen, and and a lot of people do struggle with their faith or what they do next, or why am I here, or why is this not working, or why is my vision just continually blurred, and I can't seem to make something happen. And that gets frustrating, and that might lead to a dark night of the soul. Um, I can just say I've never had one. Um, I've had frustration with people, um, with vision, you know, where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? Who's going to be involved? And, um, 
But in general, I, I would say that's more of the uh, challenge to working with people than in my heart, why am I even here? Mm. You know, should I be doing something else? Mm -hmm. I felt that way in the corporate world. But the answer was, you're here because it's a job and you're making money. Mm. And if you can't put up with that, then go do something else. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've just always been so surprised that I get to do this stuff. Be a pastor. Yeah. Be in people's lives. Um, that I never would have been able to or invited into ever before. That this is incredible to me. Yeah. That it's me. Yeah. To me, I can't imagine ever getting old or stale. And our church is growing and the people are great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the oddball, but in a church of 600, you're going to find a couple oddballs. <laughs> but they're my oddballs right. and they're Diane's oddballs. Yeah. And they're the rest of the parish's oddballs. And so it's like a great, big, fun, dysfunctional family yeah. that, um, you know, we get there and we get it done and everybody, I think, has fun. You, you don't always have fun in a church. You don't always enjoy everybody. Mm -hmm. But this is a different parish mm. that works for you if you're looking for that. If you're looking for something else, you're going to find it. Sure. But this is a different church that gathers weekly to worship. Mm. Not to discuss politics, not to um, work on social issues. It's to worship and to grow in faith and in service. Mm -hmm. If that works for you, this is your home. Sure. I would add to that that it, we don't stress any of those things, but we welcome everybody sure. who right. is passionate about sure. those things. Sure. It's just that we've got such a broad congregation who just loves each other anyway. And that's one thing I really do love about St. Paul's is we figure out how to, to get along even amidst our differences. Yeah. I think a lot of what Todd said is probably true for me, too. However, before I became um, a priest or ordained or on that discernment journey after Honduras, I definitely had some times that I was angry with God, not understanding why things were happening. Mm. Um, I don't remember ever saying I don't believe in God, or, but more the anger, like, why? This doesn't make sense, and so on and so forth. I think what has helped me with my faith coming from the corporate is one thing that we were in a different profession before. So had I been ordained right out of college or seminary, I don't know if I would still have this strong faith that I have now, but I think based on our life experiences and what we've been through, the fact, as Todd said, that we have the gift and the privilege of, of doing what we do today. Mm -hmm keeps my faith strong yeah. and being in um, a place being in church really strengthens it yeah. every single week too Yeah, I heard a, a pastor one time I don't know if it was in her book or something but she was talking about how she had kind of an intern follower around to learn what a pastor did and at the end of the day visiting someone in the hospital or that sort of stuff the student turned around and said oh so being a pastor means you just you're a human yeah. And she was yeah. like, yeah, I get to be a human with other humans. Yeah. And I think that's like the one of the best definitions of being a pastor. You get to be a human being 
with other humans. Right. And uh, I agree with that too. And okay. So in some ways, it simplifies it. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. not about vision and yeah. uh, getting money for the it's church and it's just being with people and just being cared for back. Yeah. And that's humanity. I mean, that's what I really do believe Christ calls us to do. Sure. So. Yeah. One of the things I shared in a previous episode is how the fixed hour prayer and prayers from the Book of Common Prayer and the liturgy as well have really revolutionized my faith. And I shared, for me, one of the one of the kind of the biggest moments was using Phyllis Tickle's or was it hers? It might have been her divine divine hours that she has, or it might have been um, hour by hour. But it was a small book, and I was doing the compline right before bed, and I just started crying as I read these prayers out loud. And for me, I realized these ancient prayers that literally have been in books for hundreds and hundreds of years were exactly the words I needed to pray, that I didn't know that the same desires that I was now voicing that were hundreds of years old is exactly what I needed to voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just, it was like a breath of fresh air for me. Mm -hmm. And then incorporating that more regularly into my daily routine of doing, I try to do four offices a day where pausing to pray was very different than my evangelical roots of you pray before a meal so people know you're a Christian Mm. uh, or you just pray at church or you do your quiet time and you pray things that you need from God. The daily office isn't like that at all. It's often you don't pray those types of things. So I'd love to hear from, I mean, from both of you as you've used the Book of Common Prayer and utilized, you know, fixed our prayer over longer than I have. How has that impacted your spiritual life? How has that impacted your well-being, even your ministry as, as priests? I'd love to hear even your journey with the Book of Common Prayer. So um, I grew up, I'm a cradle Episcopalian, as they call us, so I was born into the Episcopal Church and grew up with the Book of Common Prayer. Um, As a family or in... As a family. Okay. Yeah, we went to... Utilized it. Yeah. Well, no, when we went to church. Okay. So that's when I would see the Book of Common Prayer every Sunday. And I never really thought about the words Hmm. um, because they were so kind of wrote in my life as far as that's what we say every Sunday. But once I started um, really thinking about what the Book of Common Prayer says and praying those prayers, like you said, I mean, sometimes it just brings tears. Mm. And what I have learned over the years since being ordained and, um, and studying in seminary, the Episcopal Church and all of this, is that these prayers, like you said... Um, Nathan go back so many so many years but they speak of what came out of the Christian faith all those years ago Mm -hmm. and they've been used over and over again and what we would say in the Episcopal Church is if you want to know who we are as a church get a book of common prayer and read it and much of the stuff that's in there comes from the Bible which a lot of people don't necessarily realize at first but all of our eucharistic prayers our prayers that we use at communion are straight from the bible um and so you're they're just they're incredibly meaningful and there are prayers that you can go to in this book that like you said you don't even realize you need um or how to say it but once you read it it's like oh my gosh that's what i needed yeah it's yeah transformed me for sure Mm -hmm. Now, growing up in 
the Lutheran Church, we had a hymnal that had all of the liturgy in it, the hymns and the, the Sunday propers, and you know, guided you through. And I didn't pay attention to anything but the hymnal. Um, so I had never experienced anything like the Book of Common Prayer as people will open it up and actually follow the service. Um, and like you, uh, I remember first time Diane talked me into going to a Ash Wednesday service mm. in the litany. I was thinking, who followed me around and wrote down my thoughts huh. and said, I need to pray this prayer of, of, uh, repentance. of repentance and the things that I've done and left undone and screwed up. I didn't realize that those were written hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there, there's no... So I was, I was struck by the use of the Book of Common Prayer as a liturgical worship mm -hmm. um, material. Um, and that sold me. That was another sales job, the Holy Spirit on me. Um, <laughs> we, we began doing morning prayer every day in seminary as required by uh, the seminary. And we did that so then when, when I graduated, you know, I committed to doing at least morning prayer every day. And I admit after a while, because I knew it then by heart, I, my, I, I just kind of lost the, the power hmm. that it has yeah. to speak to me. Yeah. Because it was every day. Um, my mind would kind of wander, what do I have to do today? And so that's not a discipline that really works for me. I pray daily, but to go through offices daily is just not something that, that my spirit uh, cries for right now. Who yeah. knows? You yeah. Know, things change. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a source of prayers and daily prayers and Sunday prayers, the, the Book of Common Prayer, I think, is just unequaled. Mm -hmm. um, it was... It was edited by Cranmer, but it was for, it was a book of common prayer uh -huh. to be used by the common person, not like it's just common every day, you know, right. let's just throw some stuff together. Um, but it was, it was written in English, whereas the Catholic Church was writing everything and worshiping in Latin. Latin yeah. So, you know, when you, when you learn a bit more of the history of this, how important this is into Western development, mm -hmm. and then the idea was it's written in English for the English-speaking people, and it'll be written in every other vernacular throughout the world sure. so that we can all pray the same prayers in our own language. Yeah. And so the, the, the power of this goes way beyond whether I'm moved by something that's offered here, which yeah. is enormously extensive. Yeah. Um, it's the connection... Over time, sure, and over the world, and over yeah. the world. Well, I think Phyllis Tickle even t speaks in the introduction to hers that it's almost like a cascading waterfall of prayer. Mm -hmm. That globally, every time zone, if you're using the Book of Prayer yeah. in the morning yeah. or in the evening, yeah. I mean, it is nonstop around the entire globe. Right. Ways to pray to God and praise given to God. I think is really powerful. Is it takes away the individual aspect of mm -hmm. exactly much, much of the Christian faith in the West right. and says you're part of a global community that's doing these prayers. Right. Yeah. It's the communion of saints. Yeah. 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 Which is before us, who will come after us, right. and is all over the right. world. Right. And it's really amazing when you go to a country where you don't speak the language, but mm -hmm. you're in a service, and you know, 
I mean, you just can feel. You know what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. even though you don't That's really cool. know what they're I never saying. even thought about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Are there passages or prayers for you that, like, are your favorite in there? Mine is definitely the prayer of confession. Because mm. um, it's a it's a communal confession instead sure. of an individual. individual. And I love the prayer after communion that sends us out into the world mm. to do the, the things that God's calling us to do and to take this service that you've just experienced and bring it to the world. Sure. Yeah. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is the entire Eucharistic prayer. It, um, it encapsulates everything that is essential to the Christian faith. Yeah. But it's also, it's, it has elements of Judaism and, you know, it goes, it goes back to the beginning of time and it even says, in the beginning of time yeah. you did this. And so, it's a attestation of what we believe and what we live for in faith. And, yeah. you know, if that's all that I, if I had to choose only one thing, I would choose any of the, mm, yeah. the two right ones or the four right that's awesome. twos. Yeah. That was a long one. That's all too, I need. So. Okay, there are some long ones. <laughs> they get really long. Yeah, they a little weird good. every once in a while. I found with the Book of Common Prayer and then also even the liturgy within a church service, I found that the churches that I started attending, and I, I love them, appreciate them, evangelical churches, there's, there's almost a, a stripping away of a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the seeker-sensitive churches that take away even crosses. You know, it's very right. just movie theater. And I didn't know until I started using the Book of Common Prayer and experiencing the liturgy or, or a traditional worship service that the congregations I had been a part of took away symbolism and depth and richness mm-hmm. at the expense of trying to be relevant or mm-hmm. welcoming that actually I think they they've done a disservice I found to to some of the well what the beauty that can be in a church of so coming to an episcopal service I've found the the symbolism has been powerful and what happens in a service um, mm-hmm. is really powerful for me and I think both my wife and I have shared almost every week in a service we are brought to tears in mm. some capacity, whether it's a prayer we needed to pray or whether it's the cross processing in or whether it's certain gestures that are used by either you or the congregation. Those have been really powerful. Mm-hmm. So as I explained in a former episode, the, the liturgy, kind of the structure of the service mm-hmm. in the Episcopal Church is very symbolic and theological. There's all these reasons of why we do right. what we do. Right. That it's not just we process with the cross or it's not that we turn and face this way because that's what the priest wants us to do. There's symbolism behind it all. So I'd love, similar to the question on the Book of Common Prayer, can you share a little bit on how this liturgy has affected you? Because it can be seen, I think, as very rote Mm -hmm. um, when you do it every week. But also, I feel like the roteness can really be reviving to Mm -hmm. people, and it has been for me. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your experience with the liturgy, what draws you in? How do you keep it from becoming rote? Mm-hmm. Even for those who maybe are, I see more and more of my generation and younger being drawn to the liturgy and these ancient contemplative types of prayers. But I think the fear is, well, it becomes rote or it's just written. So 
I'd love to hear from you as people who do this week in, week out. How does it revitalize you? Then how, how do you keep it from becoming rote? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, mm-hmm. I have to say that liturgy is so mysterious yeah. in some ways mm-hmm. that you can't explain how it affects you and brings you to tears like that. It's just, which happens to me almost every week too. Yeah. Um, and so I think that draws people because we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And some churches claim to have all the answers, but we just, there is that mysterious aspect that, um, would you say liminal yeah, place? Liminal place, yeah, yeah. sure. That is, is difficult to describe. Um, but what I do love about the symbolism is, like you said, Nathan, everything really does have a reason. From the, our vestments, mm-hmm. to the cross, to our gestures, to, for example, um, as we talked about before we started the interview, the, the gospel book coming out to the people. Yeah. So the gospel is read in the middle of the congregation because it is the book for the people. The other thing in the Episcopal Church, which I love about symbolism, is we really stress to the congregation, to ourselves, to anyone who's worshiping with us, to do what makes you feel closer to God. Mm. If it doesn't feel right to make the sign of the cross for you, that's what, you know, you don't. If you don't want to bow, you don't have to. If it helps enhance your worship experience, then absolutely do it. And so I think symbolism is um, hard to describe sometimes but everything does mean something there's yeah. a reason for it yeah oh go ahead go ahead just not becoming rote i think just to continually mm. put that in your mm. mind yeah when i grew up i thought that i was a i was in the, in the audience and that the clergy were performing huh. and god was approving and I was just there to see it. Now, I didn't, nobody told me that, but I didn't feel like I participated. But in the Episcopal Church, I realized that, um, that we're all active in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whether you're a bishop, priest, deacon, and particularly the lay people, because liturgy is the work of the people. Sure. Mm-hmm. Literally. And so, with that understanding, um, we, like Diane said, we encourage people to engage how and when that works for them. Being open to maybe next time I'll do something else, or maybe on the spur of the moment you'll, you'll want to cross yourself, or uh, slight reverence, or full reverence, or genuflect, you know, whatever. Um, because each of these has um, value. Mm-hmm. And if it has value for you, then it adds to your worship experience, and you'll go from this place, as Diane said, uh, to do all the works that God has called us to do. Yeah. Um, so we're fed rather than I kind of felt I was just kind of watching and you know singing and trying to not hit the wrong notes. Um, but the, the symbolism, um, like Diane said, is if you really open your heart and your mind to it, you're living in the reality of God mm-hmm. in the full um, unfolding of salvation history. And if you don't have that sense, then 
you simply have not accepted the invitation to what worship can really be. Mm -hmm. As far as being rote um, or having it risk becoming rote, what I, I intentionally try not to memorize anything. Mm. I want to be struck every time by something new. Yeah. Just like when you read a, a Bible verse a hundred times, that hundredth time is like, I never noticed that. Yeah. But if you're just memorizing it, you'll never have that discovery. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of say, Holy Spirit, just stand over there, I'm going to do my thing, and then we'll talk. Yeah. If you're in conversation with everybody that's worshiping, open to the Holy Spirit, then you can discover something that you never knew, had never thought of. Mm. But you probably need to, mm. and the Holy Spirit, you know, says, "Let's yeah. let's think about this this time." Yeah. Um, so being wrote, I'm intentional about not, because I want to be struck. Yeah. I want to be surprised, and um, that in, interestingly, being wrote takes some intentionality. Not being wrote. Yeah. Takes some intentionality, yeah. but because it's, it's easy to not. I'm I'm hearing too that you're saying you want to be aware. Yeah. That you want to be present in the moment. And Absolutely. a lot of these practices, I've said, are contemplative in nature. Right. And really, contemplation is becoming aware, becoming yeah. present to the moment, yes. um, sure. present to God, um, whether that's in silence or solitude or in the service itself. So it seems like that's kind of what you're saying, is you yeah. want to be Absolutely. completely aware and present in the moment for the mystery mm -hmm. that may surprise you. Yes. Right. And that's what I've found in a lot of these practices is uh, the, it's almost as if God surprises you. The, right. Like the divine being just pops out. And for me, that's when it becomes so emotional. Sure. Because you're again taken by surprise yeah. by God yeah. in a way that you just can't really explain. Yeah. I prayed this prayer that started everything was an Easter Sunday when I was just really numb and this the service I was in the back going what are we doing and I used to be like on Easter like the I will jump up and down and shout the Lord is risen indeed hallelujah mm. I mean I will do that and I was really numb and I remember praying God I need I need the resurrection mm -hmm. um and that prayer started me on this journey really just changing mm -hmm. I think my life my faith <laughs> my job my my marriage I mean there, there's so much involved in that but I've discovered more of more mystery of mm -hmm. a faith. Like the faith is much more mysterious and surprising yeah. than it is figuring out what's right and wrong uh -huh. and the and the theological beliefs on these passages and what that means. That I it, I'm just more open to the mystery of our faith. Mm -hmm. um, and I I sense that that is kind of an Episcopal ethos even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I would say or, so. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we don't when when we celebrate Eucharist, Eucharist, it's not a memorial. Mm -hmm. We're not recreating this like it's a staged event. Yeah. And we're simply doing what's been done before. We believe that we're actually entering into that mystical time that was before, is now, and will be forever. Yeah. And if, if that's where you can begin to enter in, there's no telling what you're going to mm -hmm. experience or discover. And I love that uh, that permission to be odd yeah and wait for it and it'll happen yeah the eucharist it's amazing how it transforms people mm -hmm. while they're up there mm -hmm. like 
that is just, again, one of those gifts to us, to me, to be able to distribute communion and see the faces of people and see the tears and see the uh, the kids. They're amazing, yeah. too. I mean, when your boys come up and they just, it's just heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. A beautiful, they get it. beautiful yeah, gift. Yeah, no, they totally do. Yeah. Foster, I mean, he loves, he loves going up there. It's yeah. like his favorite part of the service. He loves he now yeah. crosses his arms. Yeah. He's right. ready for the yeah. blessing. Yeah. But he also, I mean, when I do the Book of Common Prayer, he knows that the book with the cross on it is called the Amen Cross. That's what he calls all the crosses, the Amen Cross. Oh, so he knows gosh. that that's the Amen book. And when he was really little, like one and a half years old, he would say Amen with me when I got to certain prayers. Yeah. And so it's crazy for like that's another aspect for me. The mystery is I'm trying to figure it out. Right. But yet my two-year-old, four-year-old, like, they yep. get it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And all like, those what? kids that come up there are the same. Right. They're like, right. Yeah. you can just see it. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Dan, I would love to end with the blessing that you give yeah. often at the end of a service, because it's my favorite. Um, okay. But I thought it would be a great way to, to end this episode, Absolutely. if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. Yeah. Life is short. And we don't have much time to gladden the hearts of those with whom we travel. So be quick to love and make haste to be kind. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. And so friends, as you pray these ancient prayers of the saints and discover the mystery of God in the liturgy, may you have peace, may you have calm, May you have happiness.